Living here, you're still feeling the effects of it, like through work and business, and like, and uh, even just where you live and what you're, uh, the way you're treating school, for example, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's 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 more in, it's more insidious and underlying than just racist people who are nice to your face, you know. Absolutely. It's like they don't, yeah, they they probably don't have any, they don't think about it because they're not particularly racist, but like their world has doesn't need to be rocked because it seems that everything's fine basically when really there are a lot of issues you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's a bit like that indeed but, but i know what you're saying though indeed well folks thank you for joining us you caught the tail end of what mr gg craig was telling us pro soccer player uh theorist of all kinds uh psychology degree <laughs> uh, a musician son of musician, Italian, Jamaican. I'll let Paco introduce himself. Welcome to In Defense of Humanity, season four. We're deconstructing what economy is, socio-political dynamics. Paco, GG, Craig, please take it away. Well, good evening. Thank you very much for having me, Khalid Asteri. I am Paco Craig, born and raised in London. I'm a big lover, I'm big on love. It's the one word you missed out when you were describing mm. me. <laughs> but um and a big frequency guy which is hence the music side of things but in life and i'm um, yeah I'm, I'm i'm it's an honor to be here and i can't wait to get into some chats with you excellent thank you for being here mm. so we we had already started talking about this before we decided to start recording and it's the passive racism or sort of you know institutionalized systemic racism versus active racism, what I call the authentic racist, um, okay. which is in and of itself inauthentic because it's allowing <laughs> your ways of thought to control you. It's not critically thinking, you know, yeah. you, you yeah, allow yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your biases to be amplified by the people you hang out with and by the, the type of media you consume. So you go like, hey, I know I dislike these people and these are the reasons why I dislike them. So it appears that you're an authentic racist. You'll call me the N-word to my face. You'll kill me even. But this is inauthentic in itself because it is against what it means to be to be human because you are just an ideologue. You're not even a real person anymore because you're unwilling to critically think. I mean, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I would even go even further than just amplify and use the word to amplify but i think it it explains the whole thing i mean you obviously no baby is born racist inherently Mm -hmm. they have no idea of it so in in a way in a really twisted and weird way you can almost feel sorry for racist people if that makes sense because they had no real they didn't even they didn't have a chance like that's the that's how they were conditioned basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because like I think the brown-eyed, blue-eyed experiment, which a lot of people have heard about, you know, there are inherent biases whenever we're born, you know, at, at about three to six months old. We know what we look like because we see it in our parents. So evolutionarily speaking, you will have a bias for people who look similar to you because they're probably in a similar group, not for cultural reasons, but logically thinking, avoiding pathogens. If yeah, like evolutionary group, even. What's that? Could be like evolutionary as well. You know, you're just like, obviously, naturally, you'd want to stay close to the people you kind of mm-hmm. um, see yourself in. 
Yeah, just for safety. Yeah. You know, similar genetics, you can rest assured that someone in your group probably doesn't have a disease that you wouldn't be immune against. But if you mm. see someone who looks drastically opposed to you, initially the bias is, is established. Oh, they might have something that I'm unfamiliar with. They look different. They speak differently. But then, you know, cultures start to perpetuate that. Not only do they look different, can't you remember a hundred years ago, whenever people who look like them came over and then half of us died out, that's because they're nasty. They're inherently, that's a part of their being. And then it keeps moving along. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Pretty extreme stuff though. Pretty heavy stuff. Indeed. So let's, let's, cause this season is about, we, we say economy, but realistically mercantilism and capitalism, because that's what we deal with on an, a daily basis. Right. Um, so take us through your career, right? Because we, we live in capitalist societies, regardless of what we call ourselves, the basis of both of our countries are capitalist. You have far more socially progressive statutes for human dignity, uh, health care. Well, in England? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard, though, is it? <laughs> you'd have to it's be really like not. China or some, Yeah, you'd have to be some really oppressed country <laughs> to be worse than America. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blow England's trumpet too loudly. You know, we're 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 following closely behind you and then always copying you from a distance. You know what I mean? In our own British way. So, so um, but like, what do you mean talk you from my career? In what sense? Like, so like, take us, take us. So we went to uh, university together. Yeah. You, uh, Khalid, myself. Yeah, yeah. And then after that. Take us, take us through so that the audience, the audience already knows who you are if they're true fans because they would have listened to season one. Yeah, yeah, true fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we should have had way more chats that night, man. We should have done one every night because I always enjoy talking with you. But I mean, in terms of just career wise, like, I don't know, you're playing, you, you get, I have an opportunity to play football as a living. And, and you think, especially if you want to try and relate to the economy and stuff, like, quite a rare position whereas most people are just like a productive unit to like the machine you know you're just a a measurement of of just how productive you are whereas I get to like play a sport and entertain people for my being productive to society so and the economy so like obviously it's an attractive prospect so uh, after I graduated I tried I tried the teams in in America and as weird as it sounds like I my talent was far greater than than the than the level I was trialing out for. I should have played football a long time ago. Go coming to university kind of delayed that a bit and took a sidestep because I could have probably tried to keep playing when I was nineteen. So I was always ready to play and I always kind of figured out I wanted to do it. But but um, I just going to America like took the long path to it. So I'm going to these trials thinking obviously if I can't play football I will. And. Uh, Got about five or six no's from teams because they weren't the right fit. And um, and you have to get used to no's, like, like just like any other life, you know? Like, I guess if you were going for castings as an actor or or anything, or just a really competitive job offer, you just, I kept getting turned down, turned down, turned down, but it doesn't really bother me because I knew where my talents were. Like, I knew how good I was. So I didn't really let these no's define me too much. And then eventually I signed with that team in Louisville. 
in the second uh, division of professional football in America and was very lucky because I joined a team that was ready made to succeed. Like they had a very, very strong culture, very together. So like everyone was on board with the same ideals. We even had a very clear and strict set of guidelines of expectations in terms of behavior. So you could be yourself and express yourself as much as you wanted, as long as you still show these 10 commandments, for, for example, like give your most every day, put the team first, you know, like, and, uh, and then we won't have any qualms. Um, and so, yeah, it went really well there, but I was always playing down a bit to the standard. Like there was always a higher level for me. Um, but nevertheless, I was very successful with the team and uh, we won quite a lot of trophies and I won quite a lot of personal accolades. And so I decided to come back to Europe to see if I could play in this competitive market because I wasn't really making the millions that footballers do make. So I figured if I could do make it the same money, but in Europe, then it'd be another opportunity to live somewhere else. And also I miss my family a lot. So I wanted to just be closer to them. So last Basically, this time last year, last November, I came home. And uh, and obviously, things were going well until everything shut down. And um, I've just been keeping myself in shape and training and looking after myself until an opportunity does arise. It's, it's looking more and more like I might have to come back to America, though, because it's extremely competitive. I'm not hearing anything. Mm -hmm. So I hope that kind of paints some sort of picture of my story. <laughs> it does. It does. And that's exactly... Yeah. The, the way you told your story perfectly brought it to my uh, initial question. Unless Thank you, God. You have a question? Yeah, go ahead. Nothing, nothing, nothing comes to mind. Um, that was a pretty concise telling. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell I've rehearsed it, you know? <laughs> I'm just spitting it I'm just spitting it out again. I'm like, yep, this is where I'm at right now. <laughs> and I'm very aware a lot of people probably have it a lot worse, you know? Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, Khalid? Like, I'm very lucky to still be in the position I am. Indeed. So you say, um, you don't say, this happened. I, I visited you a few times. Uh, yeah, that was nice, man. Um, but, so you got your professional, you are a professional soccer player. You were playing for uh, the team in Louisville, yeah. the city team. And you were getting paid as well as, was it free accommodation or lowered price? No, so in that league, because you don't get paid that much considered you're a professional athlete, they do cover housing. Okay. And if they don't cover you your housing, you can be entitled to stipend, which is basically like a monthly allowance, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. just made for housing. So yeah, I was I was quite I was in a very comfortable position, definitely. Okay. So so yeah. there therein lies my question, right? Deconstructing the capitalist system, right? Um, footballers uh, football players, not footballers, but football players in America get paid a lot because it's a sport that gets commercialized the most. They can make more money. Yep. The, the coaches don't make a lot compared to the players. And then people are like, players make 120. What are they complaining about? Um, mm. But it's like the team owner like commercializes everything, advertises, <clears throat> sponsors out the wazoo. They're making probably just under a billion dollars for some of the biggest teams and they're doing this and then they're paying the team considerably but whenever you do a comparison it's like well the team is a human commodity so they're covering mm -hmm. 
um, at lower levels and Canadian football, they're covering uh, housing. They're paying them, um, in addition, probably a stipend. Healthcare. Yeah, healthcare. So they're, mm-hmm. indeed. So they're doing this all for them. And people are like, oh, you have it good. But then you think, well, you're a human capital. You're playing a sport, which the, the team owner might actually love the sport. I'm not saying that they don't, but you are the commodity. And whenever you uh, start to cost more than you, you bring in, then that's whenever you start negotiating or whenever you're doing better than what you're getting paid. And then you now have the buying power to purchase yourself out or to sell yourself out to another Yeah, team. that's absolutely right. Yeah, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. I would say that it's in football, though, in soccer, um, it's still, it's it, America is such an American thing. America has its own way of, of, of uh, mo- the way it models its business model, sorry, around sports. Um, because teams in England, and this is probably speaks to like the history of where it came from. There's teams in England that are over 200 years old, for example. Mm-hmm. Like football teams that have played here in this place for this community for over 200 years, if you can imagine. And so in, it's, it started in the last 30 years or so, but soccer in, in England especially, the club, if you owned a club, it was never about turning profit. It was actually never about that. It was like, if your team was doing well, you probably weren't actually profiting that year. You were just enjoying it, having a massively great time, bringing in trophies, which does bring in money, mm-hmm. but, and also selling tickets, which obviously brings in money. Like you're bringing in lots of money, but if you're successful you lose money essentially because you're pumping it all back into the, the product, which is the players. And you're making sure they have everything they need regardless of spending of, of costs. And then they go out and they play the best, you know, or you pay them the most and they play because and they're the best players. But hey, when I come to America, it's so clearly about that all the time. Every mm-hmm. decision that's made from the ownership is, will this actually make us more money at the end of the day? And it's never once you have to fight. You have to like fight and scrape with them for every little thing that will help us players, which they think is like, that's a bit extra. Do you really need to go see like a special stretch therapist or something? Or like, do you need these, these really expensive modes of recovery for your body? And we're like, well, yeah, if you pump that into us, which you might lose money out in the end of the year, we will be better. We will play better. We're ready to go. We're healed up. So like, you'll see us win, you know? So that's something I found really interesting growing up. Well, I say growing up, my, playing my professional sports in America is American football, basketball, baseball. They're all like built the same. It's like the ownership and even the idea of no promotion relegation um, is like in itself, it speaks to the ownership, owning the league and being like, this is just our club that we get to have fun with and make sure we like make money out of. Whereas if there was promotion relegation, like, your like fans the, the the whole energy around it is so more exciting because it's like it's risky like you have to earn the right to play somewhere but it's risky for the ownership because then if they get relegated they're in some shit league where you're getting less money less tv um and you've lost money on your investment but like so you can see how how they can they, they dominate that there man um yeah sorry i just kind of went on that as well that's that's always been a massive uh, observation of mine. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, thinking about like Oscar's statement, um, I've always kind of maintained this idea that uh, especially like American sports, uh, professional sports or whatever, um, definitely feels reminiscent of slavery 
In yeah, sense. yeah, we can. Because yeah, absolutely. You are a commodity. You know, yeah. as, soon as, as soon as you're no longer able to perform, you're gone. You know, yeah. your your cushy lifestyle, being able to get put up and have these benefits, you know, those are all dependent on your ability to perform. And if you can no longer perform, you're gone. And yeah. with mm-hmm. that goes your quality of life, you know. And so you can imagine some expensive taste gets built up as well during the time where you're eating out <laughs> you know you're spending on your girls like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mad bro but sorry i can't cross you keep going man. no no you're good you're good um and i think that's all like like everybody dreams of going like pro right that's that is that is that's like the dream uh, mm. because the lifestyle that comes with it and that is so deeply rooted in capitalism right you can love the sport you can love the game but you know for a lot of people the biggest thing of loving the sport the thing that you're doing is that quality of life change right you get, mm-hmm. that, you get that big shift and so you know it's capitalism making you feel like you have more value than you actually do within the system because at the end of the day the people that are really uh making the money are the team owners are those stakeholders right so no, you yep. are nothing more than a commodity, especially within uh, American style sports. I agree massively, man. In fact, obviously, my team was in Louisville, which is horse country, and I got friends. I got to be in friends with a lot with a, with a horse trainer, an actual uh, race horse trainer. So the ones that would sprint, and I'm looking at these magnificent like creatures, these race, these thoroughbreds that are going to race in the Derby and things like that, and I'm like. I've, and I've got to go, I got to kind of go behind the scenes and see how they were treated. And in my head, I'm like, man, like, I feel like a racehorse, you know, like, like these things are whipped and pushed and like drugged up and like told to go out there. And the ones who win, win big, you know, but then it's like a few years time and then, oh, he breaks a leg up. Oh, sorry, like you're, you're lame now. You ain't good. The, the mm-hmm. best ones, the top, mm-hmm. top ones, they obviously get that golden ticket where they just fertilizing women for the rest of their lives yeah, for yeah, big paychecks <laughs> but um but the rest of them man they, they just get discarded once they've used them up and and it is very much like that it is it's like i have there's even there's the, you could even negotiate things like a car you can negotiate everything in in a contract i've been able to i might be coming back to america now because it hasn't worked in europe and uh i'm trying to pull the pants down of the ownership because i've had a few years of negotiating and I've represent I've always represented myself in negotiations and it's taken me like three or four negotiations each time growing in confidence to understand that no matter what happens you will always be short sold when you're sitting down with, with the ownership and the contract and talking contracts they will always still try and get a deal out of you mm-hmm. I put mm-hmm. I put three four good years into Louisville City we've lifted trophies we've had like we've, re- we've broken records in our achievements and then, and then when it comes to the end of the year, you're still sitting there saying, no, nah, this isn't good enough. Like, yeah, I'm going to need this, 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 and this, you know, like throw a car in there maybe. And then even, even if you manage to, to get through that and get some bits that you want, they've still come out on top. They complain. Yeah. They talk about budget this, budget that. But you will always, it will, they will always make sure to turn a profit somehow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like you're never really inconvenienced. Inc- they make you feel like shit too, you know. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, man. So, yeah, so that's, that is an interesting side to that lifestyle. I mean, unless you're Michael Jordan or something, because, I mean, you saw you saw in that documentary, Scotty Pippen, oh, yeah, he got yeah. done. He got done, you know what I mean? Seven mm-hmm. years locked in, like, minimum. They're, like, obviously, it was nice for any normal person, but in relation to him and where he was, 
he just got he got done in, and that happens all the time. Every time you sit down with him, mm-hmm. they don't give a shit about you or or how much you think you deserve. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. for for the audience who's listening, save the last dance. Brilliant documentary. Everyone should yeah. watch it. It's a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I've got my own opinions about that, man. I mean, Jordan obviously had his hands all over it to make sure it was ridiculous. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and he is a legend, he is a god. Go on, go on, sir. Yeah, but like Scotty Pippen, I I would say, you know, comparatively, Scotty Pippen put in, you know, Michael Jordan always says hard work beats talent, hardly working any day. I would say Scotty Pippen was always out there on the court, people would be out, Scotty would be in there at like 4 30 a.m putting in the time in order to be at that caliber, right? Yeah. He had natural talent. Everyone in the NBA at least has some, what we would consider natural talent, whether it's yeah, yeah. tall or good. fast, athletic. But that, that'll that get you to the D-League. That doesn't get you to the starting lineup of the Bulls. You know, you yeah. got to put in that time. Some Absolutely. people might have easier time getting there, but Scottie Pippen was like, hey, just because I got here doesn't mean I'm secure. I'm not Mike. I I am never secure. I could I could break my ankle tomorrow, and I could have scored eighty points in one game, and they will take me off next season. Yeah, yeah. You saw how they did him with that with that contract, man. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And when you do realize it's 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 a bit of a mess, Khalid. You put you raise a good point because it messes your head a bit because there might be times when you are injured, for example. And your con- and it's your last year in your contract, and in a- and you're panicking, man. You're 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 desperate. You're like, Shh, like I just need to secure like some kind of guarantee for the next couple of years, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so at that point, you know, you're like, okay, maybe it wasn't such a, a you know, it wasn't such a like a, a a beautiful dream to become an elite athlete. You know, there's a lot of it's a lot of things around it. Also, even like the media, you know, or how you have to present yourself to the public. That's been a really interesting thing for me because you always have to do appearances and show up and talk to fans, and you even if you're having a bad day or something, and you, like I'm, I'm very sociable, but I'm quite introverted. Like I don't care to go out and and like just start talking to people. And if you're having a bad day, you can't be moody, you know, because that's going to reflect negatively for the fans and the team. Then the team's going to have a bad image, and if the team has a bad image, then they don't make no money. So you can't be going around there being a you got to just put a smile on and just be pretend to be happy all the time. And so excited to meet these creeps who have like loads of, loads of crazy signed pictures of you in their basement that they're just like hoarding for the rest of their lives. And you're like, what's going on? You're like, should I be really excited to see you or should I be worried? You know, you're like, you know, but nope, you just got to smile and, 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 you know, be super nice or else mm-hmm. the team loses money. <laughs> Definitely. I think yeah. I think yeah, exactly. Absolutely, you know, mom. Uh, God, God, God forbid you let um, you let police brutality get to you. Yeah, exactly. You decide to take a knee on the field, and then everybody uh, has a fit. Well, it's just yeah, exactly, and yeah. I mean, I, I mean, as an athlete, that is like bare minimum of what someone could do. That is like a humble gesture. That's not you're not you're not shattering or breaking any any establishment you're not like bringing down any you know you're not ending world credit or something you know you're not burning the banks down Mm -hmm. you're just making a statement and yet you get punished like that it's just that yeah i guess that's a great point man that shows you what it's like definitely definitely well you know as we're discussing capitalism and i gladly bro 
Yeah. It's America's fault, you know. Well, it's not America's fault, obviously, historically. It's, 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 it's just come fault. from, yeah, it's come from, from time and time ago. But this, this, you know, the last 60, 70 years or so, it's America mm-hmm. that I would point the finger at, personally, yeah. with this capitalism. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be nice if we had a little bit more of a social democracy, you know, if a pandemic swoops by, everyone's guaranteed a stipend, but as we're not... And in defensive humanity is not a 501c3 that is tax exempt yet. Mm. We do have to go to an ad break to help pay for my internet bill. You got ad breaks? We do have ad breaks. Oh no, that's scary. That's ad breaks. Who did you go for? <laughs> what ads uh, we well, the people will find out right now. Welcome back from our ad break. I hope everything was wonderful. I, you know, if you buy something, if you don't, you're just contributing to the capitalist machine regardless. But yeah, even if you don't buy anything, (laughs) you know, you support indefensive humanity. So at least we can survive. We appreciate that, guys. We do. So let's, let's get back into it. Khalid, Gigi, you guys were talking about some, some good things. Why don't you give us a brief rundown? of what you guys were hitting on so that the audience can sort of listen in? Um, I think one of the earlier points, and we, we, we hit quite a bit there, to be honest, but one of the earlier things was that I wouldn't mind talking back on again because it kind of pertains a bit more to what we're talking about is um, the ability to, especially I recognize this in my line of work, but the ability to like... Um, uh, to make docile, I like this word docile, so I'm just going to fit it in. Mm. <laughs> but to make docile a, 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 a large enough portion of the society through this like idea that capitalist, capitally speaking, like they kind of succeed and you know they have the right things. So like I, for example, playing, doing what I do, I had a house. I was able to maybe get help getting a car. I was living in a decent area with a, with a pool, you know, with other young professionals, and then also throughout the city. I was able to like use my my prestige, so to so to so to call it, uh, to get myself at, at events without buying a ticket or mm-hmm. at restaurants and like get to know the sh- kind of buddy up with the chefs and other interesting characters in the city. So, um, so people who are sort of floating in that in that area, like like we were saying before in like Matrix uh, reference, like mm-hmm. you kind of you become really comfortable with it all that you don't want to like rock the boat. You know, the boat is very comfortable and, and, and moving along at a good speed and everything's going well. So, so you become very desensitized to anything mm-hmm. that would, that would ruin that experience. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, so whenever, as soon I was thinking, you started speaking and I, I started thinking, Oh, this, this is this is gonna be good. Then you said the word docile, and immediately it clicked to me. I was like, our previous time that we had you on in defensive humanity, what was it, two years ago? Well, I use that same word. <laughs> no, no, you didn't use the word docile, but we were talking about anxiety, and then oh, you yeah? said uh, we have to be docile in order to be complicit with the system capitalism. And I was like, anxiety, being neurotypical, you know, uh, Khalid and I, we've referenced probably dozens of times the autism spectrum and Mm -hmm. uh, how in capitalist societies, you don't actually use gradation on the spectrum. You say either high functioning or low functioning. Can you 
work by yourself without any assistance? Or are you going to be more of a burden at the workplace and not make as big of a profit? Thus, we won't hire you. Are you high functioning or do we not hire you? Basically, so I'm thinking like docile and even anxiety, right? None of these are inherently bad things, but in a society that um, trades not only in currency, but in human capital, the, the person's ability to not be normal, but to pretend that they're normal and to do what is asked of them without much variance is highly desired. Yeah, that just sounds scary, though, doesn't it? It does. You can see, I'm sure you guys mentioned this, but you can see how you but you start, yeah, you, you see how the labels like ADD and, and like you say, anxiety and all of these um, psychological uh, dispositions can become extremely negatively labeled and taboo even when really, I'm sure you've seen other people describe like when you have mental health problems, typically the the reasons are right there. Like it's not, it's not like a really, it's not a curse that you have. It's like you kind of found yourself in a, in a massively discorded situation that doesn't like line up with who you feel you are, you know, you, and, uh, and that can be, like you say, a result of interacting and trying to succeed in this world that we've, we've, we've kind of created for ourselves. So, um, yeah. So yeah, basically if you're not, like you say, if you're not complicit in those, then there's something wrong with you. So let's just call them schizophrenic when really like Mm -hmm. they just Mm -hmm. don't, they just don't want to partake in this bullshit. Oh yeah. (laughs) Which, yeah. You are what you you are what you can contribute. You are nothing more than a dollar sign, uh, a number, if you will. And, <laughs> that uh, sounds so horrible, man. That's, that, hey, that's what it is. It, it is what it is. It is um, true. And because Wait. of how capitalism is so central to you know Western cultures, right? Um, um, because of that, you see, like as of recently, right? We've seen an uptick in. Um, like red scare type propaganda, right? Looking at our election cycle, the quickest word that um, conservatives will throw out is they're uh, they're socialists, yeah. Social, socialism programs, and all these all these different things, right? Painting these things as as negative, you know, and you paint it as negative because they are de- directly oppositional to capitalism. Mm-hmm. But straight up, what I also want to say, I listened to. A brilliant talk with um, who was it with Tristan he's from I believe the New York Times he was on another podcast armchair expert with Dak Shepard and he said uh, people on the left will often say how dare they uh, use these terms that we find you know like that's honorable to be more socialist that's not a bad term why would they even use that against us negatively they're a bunch of fascists and we don't realize that we are um, calling them out for doing the same exact thing that we're doing. The yeah. same exact thing. Yeah, I, I, can, I was doing... I can I can see that, but so like when you look at your when you look at the average conservative, right? Uh, and I'm not mincing my words here, most of them cannot define what socialism or communism actually is. Right? <laughs> I ask you, can most liberals, right, which are the people who are predominantly called the left, define exactly what fascism, communism, and socialism are? 
I guarantee it is a smaller percentage as the average oh, conservative. I'll, I'll say straight up, liberals uh, don't like socialism or communism either. Because when you look at the when you look at liberalism in America, it's uh, it's communism. It's capitalism, but uh, you know, capitalism. But we're progressive on certain things. Yeah, like, but that's that's just like performative, you know. It's like. And I, I'm going to be a bit harsh about this too, but it's like uh, um, the, the vice president to Joe Biden, sorry, Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, okay, so the left is doing these cool things. Like I say the left anyway. The Democrats are doing these cool things by having a, a black lady, which is huge as a vice president. It's massive. But at the end of the day, it's still going to be politics as usual. Ain't, mm-hmm. There's no shit that's going to change. So... But to go back to your your earlier point, as three, I, I probably couldn't clearly define those three ideal, those three ways of, uh, of living, like communism, fascism. I can sum them up in my own ways, which I probably wouldn't do them justice. But um, but the mere idea that it has to be left or right, like you said, alone, is so limiting. It's it, it, mm-hmm. it's like you're you're either in this camp and this is what you're about, and and you're fighting those people. It's limiting and it locks you into this this feud, this idea that it's us versus them. And anytime yes. you're locked into a us versus them, you're being distracted and you, you're being played. You know it, what I mean? Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. And That was basically all I, all I wanted to throw in there. <laughs> I, so, so Khalid, Khalid, I'm going to call you out. We've had to have these conversations multiple times. I'm like, it's not us versus them. You, you, you say you have to choose a side. I say that there is... Um, grounds, right? People on the left will often say, protect our public lands. You know, fracking is bad. We hate people who do fracking. And then it's like, cool, we won't do fracking. We'll protect the public lands. We'll just increase our international wars because that is the only way that we will sustain our current model of existence. No, we'll do away with natural gas as well. Well, I hate to tell you, but these things cannot happen in a week. Not mm-hmm. a long shot. Not at all. So whenever we say we hate fracking, I understand. I hate fracking as well. But saying you have a choice. No fracking, no gasoline. We're not destroying our public lands. The irony, of course, is our public lands are not our lands. They oh, are yeah. stolen lands. Yeah. So that, that's the irony of the liberal slash leftist thought. We got to protect hey. the, the, the hey, Department hey. of Natural Resources, you know. <laughs> hey, 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 as you, as you try to air me out. Um, one, I recognize that a lot of policies, you know, a lot of things that would kind of foster an us versus them kind of mentality. Yeah. I recognize uh, darn near nothing changes overnight. Uh, yeah. Ideally, I mean, you know, you could hope for change as quickly as change could come, but, you know, you want that change to be efficient. Um, but when I talk about uh, us versus them, right, this is fostered in my argument is generally geared towards bigotry. Um, That's easy. Yes. And so within a within a system that has criminalized um, being a person of color or a minority, right, uh, it does feel like us versus them, them being the, the bigots, the controlling the controlling um, bigoted group, right? Because that's the group that hates you, uh, is directly oppositional to you, and it does become a bit harder to try to 
uh, find a middle ground because why would I want to find middle ground with somebody that wants to see me dead? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, all right, that, that's a that's a very good point. I think the issue is it's like the and again I could this is just my take on it as well, but you have to try your best to not even acknowledge that side of thing of of knowing that there's people out there who want to do you harm you know that that mm-hmm. must be a horrible feeling that must that must feel ter- i can honestly say that i haven't had quite that experience growing up the way i grew up so i can't speak to how that feels but um but like the people who really do influence law and change legislations and and shape the way that the future is created it's it's my personal belief that they're not even particularly racist people they just see the benefit of keeping that sort of system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in play to split us and divide us and, and keep us uh, uh, easier to um, to influence, basically. Yeah. So, like, so I, I don't know how you could. I don't even know. So, basically, my, my way of looking at it wouldn't even be to try and find common ground. It would to just totally disregard um, any sort of idea that I'm against anyone. Like, I try and ideally lead from love and know mm-hmm. that the person next to me probably wants the same thing I do. It's just the the direction they're coming from is so, so way away from anything that I could relate to, you know? I always Indeed. think, you know, like race and, race and class go hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to address racism without addressing um, class and classism, right? And so you look at the common factor between poor blacks and poor whites, right? There's a lot of similarities a lot of intersection there but because the racism that has been fostered um you know that has let people believe that they're better than another group uh it's harder to see what connects us and Mm -hmm. it makes it easier for us to fight against one another and um you know it keeps us from observing the fact that there are inequalities that face us all kind of equally Mm -hmm. um, because there are still things that make us unequal and so you can focus on why you hate your neighbor because of how they look or how, they're, how they identify, right? When, end of the day, you and your neighbor are facing uh, uh, class issues, right? You, you both are poor or you both are not getting what you would like out of capitalism. And, you know, you're still struggling to get from check to check. But mm-hmm. you can't deal with the fact that we hate each other because you're Black, I'm white, or you're trans and I'm cis, right? All these different things. Uh, and so it does become harder to find things that unify us. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's going to be an issue of like relearning uh, and, you know, doing anti-racist work and doing um, doing work that makes us more progressive. But, you know, progressive is like a bad word here. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you make that's a fair point, man. It's it's it's. It's definitely a massive task. <laughs> it seems huge. Yeah. But what do you think, Esteri? You know, I've been I've been thinking specifically about Russia. Like, you know, Russia obviously intervened with Facebook to uh, target ads towards uh, people on the right. And mm. people always say, oh, well, Russia influenced the vote. The thing is, uh, you know, like these agents who did this, these 
these cyber warriors, what have you, because we have the same thing. Edward Snowden was our version of late KGB agents, right? We, yeah. it's, it's not like we didn't do similar stuff and still do similar stuff. Like people who, who think that we're somehow holier than thou are, are just idiots. But um, Russia also, um, among other uh, states in this cyber terrorism, so to speak, influenced people on the left, they would go into groups and they would incite people to say, hey, hey, look at what the conservatives are doing. Look at what they're doing, you know, like uh, target ads towards them that would show like a, a super, super right wing ad so that they would see it. Like I always see like Donald Trump ads and I'm like, why am I getting these? And it makes me sort of mad. I'm like, yeah. stop showing me this YouTube. And then, you know, I want to head somewhere and I, I tell other people about it. Imagine seeing like you're you're super left wing seeing a, like a Donald Trump ad saying that Obama wasn't even born in this country early, late 2015, early 2016, not even born in this country, blah, blah. Um, we're going to kick out all the people that do us harm. And then you're, you're left wing, maybe even a descendant of immigrants, right? Like first gen. Yeah, for sure. And then it's like, oh, I'm heading straight to um, a liberal Facebook group and sharing this with them. Oh, we're, we're fired up. Let's head over and now, um, you know, post it. You're conservative, you know, your your mom's friends typing, how dare you say negative things about our president? And now you're now you're attacking each other. Now you're it's us versus them within the same sphere of of friendship. Right. Or at least um, knowing each other. Now you're you're less likely to focus on other things that are happening. Yeah. But you see how that's been happening this year as well. You know? Oh, yeah. A lot. That's that's my personal belief. Okay, and again, no evidence, no nothing, but it's my personal belief why BLM blew up again so much that it did. Because, we go on. We, we were at home, right? We were at home. And, yeah. Uh, it's a lot easier to kind of not be able to, like, it's, it's harder to shut it out when all you can do is yeah, look at the media, right? And I think it's good that we weren't able to shut it out because you know we had like like blm started in 2011 right mm -hmm. the, the movement of blm started in 2011 and uh after like ferguson or like 2014 or so uh you kind of saw it kind of shift out of the public consciousness and then when the stuff uh got publicized again this summer you know it's like no we are back in the public consciousness because you have to be. You can't really look at anything else. Because yeah, that's true. Everything is covering it. But like, I feel not to take away from any type of good that is done, but I feel like we were all together, especially in England. Anyway, my experience in England, we were all together. We we're locked up. There's nothing to do. There's no football. And if there's no football, then England's always on the brink of, of revolt, you know? Mm -hmm. Always on the brink of anarchy if there's no football. And so, so for me, it was like, let's not look too far into how the government's doing things. Let's not scrutinize this whole situation too closely. So let's distract them with this massive uh, issue that still is as bad as it's always been. And let's, let's really like publicize the, the images and, and get it out there and get everyone to like go crazy over on social media. Because then 
they can keep it's a distraction it's it, it puts a little wedge between even though obviously it united more people this time than I think I've ever seen I was quite impressed with how unifying it was for a lot of people but there was still the opposition there were still people in against it so it did drive a little wedge between people for the time being and if like you say when it's us fighting another cause against a, a cause that we believe is horrible then we're, we're swept up in it and distracted by it all the while they're kind of sneaking there, you know, they're doing their dirty deeds in the background during this year, like the, the bills that were passed here in England and the job that they're doing and everything, like not enough people are paying attention to everything all because they keep finding ways to, to keep us occupied, you know, Defi mm -hmm. divide and rule, you know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Absolutely. I hate that. I never want to take away from people's experiences about it though, you know, because that's just my take. And I understand that everyone has like, everyone has their own angle on it and everyone's angle is pretty much is valid. You know what I'm saying? I think it, I think it worked both ways. Right. Exactly. Um, as we were in COVID, uh, you saw more, I think, I think you saw some unity in being frustrated with the government. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like we were probably more unified than we generally have been uh, in that one thing. And the one thing that we were frustrated with the government. But then again, I can't even say that because there are people that were like, no, um, a lot of our, well, I know people, I know, I know Americans that were like, Trump handled it fine. Trump yeah. handled our COVID crisis perfectly fine, as good as yeah. he possibly could have. Um, so I guess I, I guess I was being generous initially. Um, but with the kind of uptick in publicity for police brutality, right? Um, it definitely especially going into like election season, it definitely gave, it reinforced sides, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying, yeah. It reinforced the progressive side being the side on, like the side of Antifa, the side of BLM, you know, all this stuff. And the conservative side was the side of, we back the blue, you know. Always. And those became political points. Yeah. And human rights, uh, just shouldn't be a political thing in the first place, but they became reinforced political points to further divide us, right? Uh, as you said, divide and rule, because we, we're already conquered through capitalism. Uh, yeah. Keep us, keep us distracted, keep us thinking that there's, a, there's another fight, another frontier that we have to go fight on. Mm -hmm. That's my issue with it, man. That's why it's too damn, I mean, it's very it's, it's convenient for them bro and 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 you mentioned like it becomes political and like it definitely for example for BLM for sure like 99 percent. the weirdest the weirdest part for me it always comes in different forms you know it wasn't for me when it happened or it wasn't like friends of mine who had different values to me you know it's obviously for BLM clearly like it's any sort of educated and discerning like 20 year old or like 30 year old or whatever is is pretty switched on about just ethics and, and rights from from in my group anyway and um so the weird one for me this time was like all the all my white friends feeling super guilty that they didn't understand and couldn't relate and were like desperately trying to be like no you have the voice because I need to know what's going on with you, you know, like, or like, let me shut up for a second and understand mm -hmm. instead of being like the loud voice. And that was where, regardless of if it was good or, or bad, I think it always raised its head to keep us occupied and to, to bamboozle us and to, to have this, this, a weird discordy energy 
that goes through the experience of it so that like we're almost paralyzed in a way you know there was a lot of par- paralysis during this time i think for me and for my experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but um but then yeah it's, it's insane to make it political like you said how how can it become a political matter everything got politicized this year like for example wearing masks so so for example if blm was a bit easier to to unify for the most part like most of your decent most of the decent folk were like sort of on the same side for blm things like mask wearing a mask has ruined my some of my friendships mm-hmm. <laughs> you know with people i love and respect and trust because uh, i personally i do it and i abide by it but i'm not for it i'm not really and it's not like i'm i'm not for the mask i think the mask itself definitely reduces uh, spread of disease and it's more hygienic i agree that a mask definitely like helps stop of like you basically spitting on people you know <laughs> it covers everything up but i just i just don't like um how i like the mask was used as a statement to, of i'm not on board with how the government is is dealing with this you know and in that sense that is something i've struggled with and that has driven a wedge between me and some of my friends and it's divided us and that's what they want man they, they want to keep dividing us man because some of my friends are like really on board with being careful and listening to the government even though the government are clearly don't have our best interests at heart and i'm a little bit more like rebellious and thinking like look like they're not helping us so i'm just going to figure out the best way to help myself and that is go on no go ahead ahead. no i mean i'm talking a lot but (laughs) i just wanted to mention that the the it just blows me away how everything can get political like become political and and Mm -hmm. some like I guess this is a socio-political talk and like something so simple as wearing a mask or not in public is a massive political statement. That's what blows me away. And it shouldn't be, right? So like I'm critical of all forms of government. Um, I do not um, align with any political party. Uh, I do not, I do not, you know, I don't, abide by like i don't align with capitalism uh none of those are like my values right um yeah. as far as political as far as politics goes i'm far left um but you know i also think uh you know with the masks um specifically i have um i have my grandfather living with me and he's elderly i live with my mom you know she uh she's at risk my like i have family members that are at risk and so mm-hmm. you know um just listening to science, right? Removing the political spin from it. I'm just like, cool. Uh, because I have these people in my life that I care about and I care about human life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, anybody's life, everybody's life has worth. Uh, I don't want to, you know, endanger anybody, right? Do my due diligence. Uh, mm-hmm. Get home, mm-hmm. mask comes right off. Uh, it shouldn't be political, right? It's just being decent and you said you go out there and you wear yours like even if you don't agree with it particularly right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's doing your part it's being a decent human being and that's that's kind of like where this whole uh that's kind of where this like divide becomes right because it's like well who defines what being a decent human being is you know yeah. because you have a lot of people whose uh definition of being decent is simply in being a christian doesn't matter if uh if your Christianity still allows you to oppress other people or you use your Christianity mm-hmm. um, as a talking point for like to validate your oppression or to validate your oppressing of other groups of people uh, because you're in the right, right? You can deny science because 
Jesus Christ wouldn't wear a mask and yeah. and wh- whatever whatever kind of BS fallacy you can throw out. Right? Jesus Jesus of- Christ would have worn a mask. Jesus would never have worn a mask, bro. He would have just killed everyone instead. I feel like Jesus would have worn a mask to no share way. a point that everyone no, else is no, no. not Listen. able to cure anyone. No, Jesus would have gone around curing everyone without wearing a mask. And but the people but, who are telling you to wear a mask was the ancient Romans. It was the ones who, who he was like rebelling against. The I ones mean, who strung him up on a cross were the Romans, ones telling you to wear it, or whoever it was. Pontius like, Pilate would have worn a mask. Yeah, yeah. Pontius Pilate would have worn a mask. However, right, Jesus still paid taxes whenever he was a carpenter. So it's like he vehemently disagreed with what the Romans stood for. However, he didn't necessarily fall in line, but he he said, you know, things along the lines of, hey, if it is trivial, something like taxes, something like wearing a mask, that's not a problem. Whenever it starts to violate the efficacy of what it means to be human, then then or any life or any. Well, life. that's a good point, then, man, because this is what I'm saying. Like, it's driven a wedge between me and my friends because a they're fuck they're sneaky the way they do it, like. It's not as simple as wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Like mm-hmm. wearing a mask clearly helps stop spreading of germs. You know, clearly, like you can't. The, the science obviously is undoubtable, mm-hmm. but irrefutable. But it's not. It, it goes so further than that to where, like, now for me, I hate the way the government are rolling this thing. You, you can, you can see what's coming. You know, you can see what's on the horizon. Like, obviously, mandatory vaccine. I'm personally very not on board with the way our country's vaccine our people you know like I'm, i wouldn't say i'm anti-vax where no one should ever get vaccines i just don't like the way vaccines are conducted in the last 20 years for example I and so go on uh so like um i know within a lot of um black like within a lot of conversation with black people right there is this very real concern um kind of based in uh you know how things have happened right uh, you mm-hmm. think about the Tuskegee experiments. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's a fear that this first uh, round of vaccinations is going to, you know, basically be like an experiment, right? It's a test run. And it sounds like it from how long it took of, them to make it and how much they've tested it themselves. Like, and you have a lot of black people that legitimately have fear because of this Tuskegee experiments and stuff like that. And so I think it's a reasonable fear. Uh, yeah. I know that I personally would not want to be part of the first wave of uh, yeah. Come on, don't please don't. But, yeah, you know I'm once it, once it's been tested and once you know it's been proven to work without uh, giving people side effects. Too many, yeah, without too many side, side effects. effects. Whatever, yeah, you know, I'm 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 100 down for it. I just don't want to be in that first run just because. So you so you see yeah. my issue here is like. I'm, when I'm like anti-mask, it's more like I'm anti the way the government have used this virus as a tool to come clamping down on this next new way of, of, of keeping us surveillance and watching over us and having security on us. And, like, and they can, it's, it's, it's like it's an age-old tactic that's been used from, from many dominant countries to shock a society into absolute, till they're on their knees, like our economies have smashed to pieces. And so they can exploit us and get anything out they want out from us. Like, all, like workers' rights don't matter anymore. There's so many people dying, gagging for a job. And like the medical, the reasons for them to say, look, like we're going to save everyone, we're going to help everyone. It comes out of cost, you know, it's on their terms. And so whenever I'm like anti-mask, it's because I'm anti 
what the government are doing, you know, as a whole. But because, because, because like I'm putting my friend's older granddad in jeopardy with the way I'm thinking, you know, I'm being very selfish, for example. Like it's easy for society to marginalize me and treat me like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm toxic to, to, to what they're trying to do, you know? And like, that's my biggest issue about it is the way that they can divide us is so smart. It's so cunning the way that, the way capitalism, this is what I think this is. I think this whole, this whole virus is being used as a tool for capitalism. Um, it creates, it puts people like me in a situation where my friends I used to love and respect can like annex me from their group. You know, they can drive a wedge between us. And then I'm arguing with a person about something health wise when really um, that should, we should we want the same thing i know the people who are involved in like who are kind of going along with step by step like oh yeah it's okay like the government will figure things out it's like nah man like pay attention to what they're actually doing and why how like i mean i'm not really i've never really put this into words which is why i'm kind of vomiting it out but this the idea of of dividing us has been used all the time and is being used right now in that sense like i feel like i'm going to be annexed outside of society and sort of vilified mm -hmm. because of something so pure and simple as someone's granddad is at risk and it's my behavior puts that granddad at more risk so it's like i'm fucked i'm, I'm clearly the bad guy here you know what mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. like i can't argue with that logic they're, they're smart with the way they do i i hear you and usually we like to wind down in defense of humanity um but i feel like we wind it up towards the end you covered um, very well what we're talking about the sort of capitalist state and how it controls its people and i would love for us to continue this conversation in defense of humanity has come to an end it'd be nice if we just had like a slow piano start to raise up i'll add that later but so, so are we still being recorded right now yeah oh, but okay, we're cool, moving cool. towards in defense of time our Patreon exclusive after show. If anyone would like to join us, come on over. There's an exclusive after show. Slash <laughs> Ido, Ido. You just on your thing, man. Indeed. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>